Hello, listeners. Welcome to another broadcast of The Unexplained World, a world for some of us, no explanation is needed. And for others, that is why we are here. With your hosts, Edward Chanahan, a psychic medium, paranormal explorer, and author, along with Annette, who is a pagan truth seeker. The Unexplained World is a location where the border between the natural and supernatural may become nothing more than fuzzy. So enjoy. Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome to the Unexplained World with Everett Shanahan. It's me and the lady to my right, left on your screen is Annette. Hello, Annette. Hello. Happy early morning Sunday. <laughs> um, Feels like spring outside. It's a good day. Yes, 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 yes. And uh, our guest today is Mr. James Austin. He's... um. The administrator of on Facebook of Catholic Witches. We interviewed him already and a very, very Annette loved it, I believe. Very and, knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. And that amazes me at the age of twenty six, man. That was, you know, um, dude's dude's done some good reading. He's a great guy. And uh we'll have him on in the future. So We'll go right to that after this. Next show we'll have on will be um, about conspiracies being reality and um, some some interesting guests. But with this, it's Catholic magic and Catholic witches will be discussed and the Catholic Church and its ties to it. Okay, the Catholic religion and Catholic witches. A magic. So that'll be right after this commercial because we got to pay the bills. And that hang in there and we'll be back. Okay. Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome back from the um, commercial we just had. And we do have our guest today, Mr. James Austin of Catholic Witches on Facebook. And it's a page um, or a group, I would say, right? James, would you say that? It's a group, yeah. Yeah. Okay. James is from the UK. And uh, first of all, let me ask, and we do have questions for you, James. But let me, let's the first question and be, um, be, what is Catholic Witches? Well, it was a place, it wasn't actually founded by me, but it was meant to be a, an island of sorts for people whose spirituality was moving outside the confines of the regular church to all gather and meet. Because there were many groups of Christian witches, but what the founder noticed, and something I do still see today, is that most of them don't really allow Catholic content or they're very antagonistic. So he founded this island called Catholic, which is I took over the admin when he had to go away. And I try and see it as a place where anyone who believes that there remain magical properties in the natural world and holds to some core doctrines of the Catholic faith can gather. 
I mean, we don't favour a really strict view. There are three main types of people you get there. One is the one who specialises in folk magic from various Catholic countries. Others will be sticking to the medieval grimoire tradition, which is more my kind of thing. That's the kind of magic I practice myself. And others will be blending. They use the term blending a lot, where they will take things from New Age paganism or other New Age spiritualities and blend them with Catholicism. Now, most of those, there's a lot of overlap between them because a lot of the sources are the same. But if you actually join the group, those are the three main types of people you'll find. And all of them are welcome because they've got very few other places to go, really. Just a place for them all to gather, hang out, share ideas, learn things and go in their craft. Annette, go ahead. You're you're a diehard pagan who <laughs> went, <clears throat> what was it, 12 years of Catholic schooling? Yes, it was. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I grew if up not Catholic. More, did you go to Catholic college too or no? Annette? No, I avoided okay. that one somehow. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Art school is not really like a Catholic thing or business school. I, I was kind of all over with university. But yeah, so I grew up as a Catholic in suburban Chicago. And um, by the time I was about 20 to 25, I knew that there was a way that I was gonna have to make a little shift. Um, I wanted to take a lot of the great ideas that I had from childhood um, through religion and kind of give it the, the spin <laughs> into paganism. So yeah, we started a coven when I was probably 25 and here I am 30 years later I was just talking to my son last night about the fact, wow, it's been 30 years because he's kind of coming into his own now with his own ideas. That's how I, I raised him without having to, you know, have such a regimen. <laughs> <laughs> now, so. James, is there, you guys are somewhat looser, I would imagine, right? Then yes. die hard. Yeah. Um, even if we didn't want to be, there's just so much variation in the in what the label covers. We have to be very loose. Okay. Absolutely. And uh, I'm just wondering, Annette probably, Annette, do you think this is a great uh, concept? I oh, I think say. it's a fabulous concept. I mean, it's one that I've said to people forever. Uh, you know, take what you know, take what you love. You don't have to leave everything behind like it was garbage because it's not. There's so much good there. Um, and then reaching out more towards the nature aspects of, of thinking of spirituality and pulling those in and use what you love, use what makes you happy and fills you up. So there's no reason why. I mean, I think I first came to paganism through voodoo, actually, you know, visiting New Orleans and seeing how they could take their saints, right, and mask them a little bit as their loa. So they can have both the best worlds and still get along with their masters and so forth. Um, I was very inspired by that. And by digging into learning more about voodooism, I branched out and said, oh, look at this. There's a whole world of witchcraft out here. Uh, been hiding under a rock and I didn't even know it. So that was a great, that was like a lot, really like a good 10 years of exploring every facet. You know, like James said, you've got your, your traditional, your uh, your folk, and then I'm, I guess I'm kind of blended because I picked off the apple tree all the great bits that I that I thought would work for me, and I, that's what I would say to other people too. Please don't feel like you're leaving behind the good stuff. Take it with you, and 
let it help you grow as you learn these new things. You're going to find stuff in the new things that you probably don't like either. Just <laughs> what you need. So, James, with where does the concept of magic blend in with, let's say, the Catholic Bible? Well, it's a big gulf, really, within Catholicism, between what it currently teaches and what it teaches pre-1800s. Because historically, across the world, Catholicism was completely okay with the idea that there are, A, varied spiritual powers. The term angel is very broad. In the book of Revelations to Ezra, Jubilees, you have angels of forests, of elements, of water. And that was all part of traditional Catholic belief. And there was also the strong belief that you had occult properties in natural things, such as crystals, herbs, and stars. And you had the belief in the correspondences and sympathies too. You can also see this in the Bible. There's a, a lovely passage I like, Wisdom of Solomon 717 to 22. I should have it memorized by now. When it goes on saying all the virtues of herbs and stars and the powers of spirits and the directions and says that all of this is the creation of God. And for years, that was the basic Catholic belief that occult powers in natural things put there by God and using them is no more offensive than having a bath or eating food. It's equally natural. I mean, someone would probably pop up and say, oh, well, you can use them for sin. Well, you can use anything for sin if you put your mind to it. It doesn't mean that God's own creation, which he calls very good, has anything flawed in it. So by that logic, to my understanding, if someone is just using the harmless properties of nature, they're only doing what countless generations of Catholics have done before them. So there's a very strong blend on that side of things where you can just straight up do it. And then if you dig into the grimoire tradition, you'll find something else because there's, there's often a mistake made in today's Christians where they think, oh, well, if they were doing magic, they had to have been less Christian. But if you read the grimoires and the manuals, they are very pious people and they saw Christ as the word, the resounding resonance of the father's command to be through which all these things were made as the inventor of magic. And they thought that by doing magic, it was a sacramental act that could let them get closer to him to understand more about him through creation and to grow in their own deification. So improve themselves as people to the extent of being united with God, which is a normal part of Christianity where you grow into the God-man concept and are saved, i.e. divinified. But they used magic to do it. So there's two main ways. You have either the, what people would call the low magic way, although I don't like the term at all, of just doing magic because you can. And then there's what others would call the high magic way of doing magic as a pillar of your Catholicism. And mostly both, to be honest. But those are the two main ways it can happen. So one thing that... Um we discussed basically on your page, I may have posted it in the past, is when Jesus came, basically what they consider the Old Testament kind of went out the water, out the, mm -hmm. out the window, okay? Um, and a lot of people, I believe, don't follow the Catholic religion because of the Old Testament compared mm. to the New Testament. You want to explain a little bit of difference in both? Well, the old basic Christianity teaching on this is that the law was fulfilled by Jesus because it ran on this endless system of atoning animal sacrifice. And now we have an infinite sacrifice. It's not so much dead as it is completely abrogated. 
no Christian per Acts 15 has ever been under any of the written laws in the first five books of the Bible. So that's Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Exodus. None of the laws in there, like you shall not eat shellfish, don't blend fabrics, and don't do divination, although the translations are true on that one. None of them apply anymore. So if someone looks at them and says, well, I can't support this because this is what you preach, it's, it's not. And we do find that a lot with magic groups because there's one verse in particular that in English is translated with all kinds of broad brush terms. I think it's Deuteronomy 18, 10 to 12. The one that goes, don't be a medium spiritist or do divination. That doesn't apply to us because the immediate verse beforehand says it's only the practices of those nations. So to summarize, it'd be Old Testament laws made for a particular time and place for Israel. Their intention was to keep the nation consecrated to God, sacred to deliver the Messiah. But now under the new covenant of grace, we don't have to follow them. So they're essentially a means of securing the Israelite covenant, which no longer apply. The eternal character of things like the Ten Commandments, that still applies. But the laws themselves, no. So a lot of the things people come in and say, well, a Christian can't do this because it says here in Exodus, it also says to pay your workers daily. <laughs> and if you don't do that, you're not following it. So don't quote it to us. Kind of thing. <laughs> it's a big misunderstanding there in Christianity itself, I think. The, uh, the amazing thing is it's actually in the promised powers of the Holy Spirit is, mm. as Paul said, all the things that from prophecies to me, which is like readings, um, mm. knowledge, um, internal spiritual knowledge. That's how I, you know, describe an old soul is they have internal spiritual knowledge. All of a sudden discussions come from, where did that come from? Okay. It's just internal knowledge. Is there, and then we'll get on some of the other questions. Is there any, we know the Catholic church is, and that's why I love it. It's rituals. Okay, when they have mass, is there any practice as far as mass goes that would, is there a division at Catholic Church that would fall under this as a practice in any country? There used to be. I'm not so sure about now. I mean, you do have one thing people don't really know or understand about the Catholic Church is that its practices will change depending on culture. So for certain things like ancestor worship, yes, you can flat out go to a mass in, say, Vietnam, Singapore, Korea, and they have already incorporated ancestor veneration as part of the mass. Like in Singapore, the Archdiocese said, well, you know, what? if you have this ancestor cult, we think they're holy souls in purgatory. Let's put a table to them here and there you go, off you go on your own way. You get specific things like that. But mostly it's a historic thing. See, mass itself is an example of theurgy, where you will invoke a deity into yourself in the hopes of becoming the deity. It's a central concept to the gospel itself. I think Jesus goes on most specifically in John 17, where he says, make them what I am. So we're bringing people into union with the Godhead. Mass is an example of that. And in the old tradition of Catholic magic, you'll often find in the grimoires and the manuals and the, the purification rites beforehand, they would say, go to mass because you need the ability in order to do this operation. And they would also use mass to bless their tools, say if a, um, a piece of crystal 
or an enchanted ring that was meant to help fight epilepsy had lost its virtue, the power innate to the stone. They would have a mass set over it with the purifying blood and herbs from the Book of Leviticus, and they would consider that to be restoring the virtue to the stone. So nowadays there's a lot less, unless you take it from the theurgy angle, but historically there is a big role that the Catholic Church plays in the magic of its members. And I think sacramentals, things like holy water, blessed salt, they're survivals of that. Because obviously before the Catholic Church came around, people believed that these items had power themselves. The Catholic Church added the belief that people could also put power into them. I'm not sure how original that idea was, but it was something we added to the general practice. And years ago, we'd bless everything. And priests still do it in places like Mexico. They all bless your cars, they all bless your drink, they'll bless your fields. And years and years ago, the average Catholic would walk around doing that. But it was just something we believed we could do. And a lot of those um, sacramental blessings that they used made their way into charm books after the Reformation. So the stuff that cunning folk would traditionally do, especially the things where it's obvious, they make the sign of the cross as part of the, the ritual. That all comes from historic Catholic leanings of magic within the church itself. But it was largely drummed out over the last 200 years. Until living memory, you had cunning folk who'd work closely with priests. But in Europe, at least, it's not the same elsewhere in the world. The Ethiopian church still has magical practitioners within the order. But within Europe, all of that's sadly gone, apart from the theology of the mass itself. I got two questions. And okay. then we'll go on to your questions. How old are you? You got some 26. How did you mm -hmm. gain all this knowledge? And <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's really... like it's our the memory's fantastic. I mean, geez, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story because I wasn't raised religious, so I converted about three years ago. Before that, I was a very lazy agnostic, like, I turned to God as a kind of genie. And once in desperation, it's a series of miracles, really. Like, once I fasted for three days on a whim, not knowing if God was real, saying, If I pass this test, then uh, I won't eat for three days, I passed by one mark. Now, that was a bit of a wake-up call. I ignored it for the next two years. <laughs> and then I was using holy water to try and heal my girlfriend's scars on her stomach. I thought, well, you know, it's worth a pun. And it didn't. So I thought, well, you know what? After pouring it on for 10 minutes, I thought, this isn't working. Most of the water's gone. So I turned to put the lid back on the bottle. But it was full. The, the bottle was full. And that, since then, I've just hit the books massively, really, because it was a, a big wake-up call saying, okay, there is something actually real. I don't know precisely what it is. I wouldn't know that until I went on a pilgrimage later. But that was when the, I really hit the books and I just absorbed so much. I'm not sure how it's happened because I don't actually read that much. It's just the connections between one thing I read and another will just spin and spin until there's a, a string of words that I can give people if they no, ask. I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just super impressed. I know you're young. I know you're in your 20s. But the way that your knowledge and and I think Annette would agree with me because she's that way with her beliefs um, is amazing. Okay, it's like you. you you must have been night and day studying um, or reading. Let's put it that way, and you comprehend very well too. What books now? I know with the Christians compared to the Catholics, there what are books pulled out of the original Catholic Bible? There's a lot of disagreement on the Bible itself and what books should be in it. So if you spoke to another ancient venerable church, 
say, the Ethiopian Telehedo Church? They would say yes, because they have a lot of books, such as the Josephon and I think four Maccabees. No, that's the Slavonic Church, my mistake. There's several churches who would say, yes, you've taken this out. We have this wide up you. But within Catholicism itself, since the Canaan of Melito of Sardis in the middle of the 100s, through Athanasius' festival letter, which is considered the first incarnation of the full Canaan in the 350s, up to the present day, no book's been removed. Some have reappeared after disappearing. So Wisdom of Solomon's one of those. It wasn't in the original Melito canon, but it is here now. But the things that people often say were removed, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, those weren't so much taken out of the Catholic canon. They were never in it. And Gnosticism's a, a separate approach to Christianity. There's a lot of Gnostics in the Catholic witches group. And uh, they tend to believe that these things were taken out of the Catholic canon. So they then attach them to what they understand of Catholicism. And having looked into Gnosticism as well, there's a lovely course on the Great Courses website, which covers it in much detail. I don't think that's the right way to go about it because Gnostics, it's essentially not very different to Catholicism because the overall theme of uh, a false god of this world in Catholicism, that's Satan, preventing you from accessing the true creator God. That theme is the same, but within Gnosticism, they have a much more complicated mythology. And the true creator God isn't the God of the Old Testament in many Gnostic sects. And I think if someone looks into the books that were removed from the Bible, that allegedly removed from the Bible, without understanding that's a very different Christianity, then they're probably going to end up confused and not get the most out of either teaching. So I do, in the group, that's a point I try and be clear on when it comes up as much as I can. I don't want to be rude, but I think if you're going to be a Gnostic, it's something that you appreciate was developed separately from mainstream Catholicism because the books weren't in the canon as is. There's very strong differences between them, even though the essential premise is the same. What books are best for a Christian interested in magic to start with? Well, the one I'd recommend with, I don't want to be too corny and recommend the Bible. I'll explain my reason that a bit later because it's so many other things. But the one I'd recommend starting with is The Three Books of Occult Philosophy by Heinrich Hagrippa. Now, Hagrippa himself, Cornelius Hagrippa, I'm not sure what his first name was. It, it varies. He's probably the best Catholic occultist of all time. So he's the one who was most influential in inspiring the movements that led on to contemporary Wicca as such, in a roundabout way. A lot of the things you'll see in modern Wiccan books come from the three books of cult philosophy. Now, it's a big encyclopedia. Absolutely everything you could ask, from candle colours to what ghosts are to how to summon demons and do necromancy, it's all there in the three mm. books of cult philosophy by Agatha. And you can read them for free online. The, uh, the Gutenberg file is very old English. It's quite hard to get into, but it is really good. And number two of the main three I recommend, I'm going to keep this list as short as I can. Number two of the main three would be Meditations on the Tower. It's supposed to be anonymous. It's really by Valentin Tomberg. Like he's quite obviously the author. He's a 20th century Catholic mystic who converted from various hermetic orders, I believe. And in the Meditations of the Tower, he uses the 27 major arcana of the Tarot deck as symbolic meditations on magic hermeticism generally. But he sees Jesus Christ, as a lot of old grimoire magicians do, as the centre of the magical world, as literally the rock, the foundation, the, the God-man, the means to an end of making it into something more than human. And he 
approaches the whole thing, tarot in light of Hermetica, from that angle. And it's very good to weave together what you may have seen as separate from Catholicism, medicism, magic, and bring them all together into one. And it also has the recommendation of a cardinal, which is good for bringing up mm. if your Catholic friends are like, well, how do you do magic? Well, Cardinal Han uh, von Balthasar approved this book. <laughs> That's the first time I've pronounced his name correctly in my mind. And number three, ooh, what would number three be? This is a tricky one. Number three, Testament of Solomon, I'd say. Not because most magic practitioners will find it useful, but because it's the earliest outgrowth of what would later be known as a Solomonic corpus. So King Solomon himself, assuming the legends are true, probably the most influential occultist of all time, explicitly a biblical figure, the legends of him having wisdom to command demons, so an outgrowth of the ability that his exorcistic psalms could control demons. So the entirety of Solomonic corpus grew, it's grown a long way, but it grew from that biblical seed. And Testament of Solomon, which explains how conjurer can, using holy names and symbols, control demons that associate with certain styles and effects in the world. It's really the first time we see that in a kind of Christo-Jewish context. It's uncertain which one the book actually is. And I would call that the first Christian grimoire. I'm in favour of an early date for it, around 200 AD. And I think that's the first Christian grimoire. It won't be very useful for most people unless they go into conjuring, but definitely well worth a read, just so people realise, wait, this is, this is a thing. This is an actual Christian book of magic. And then they go into the three books and then the whole world opens up for them. Because there are thousands of medieval grimoires. I could sit here all day talking about them. Okay. Annette, do you have any questions for James? No, this is uh, bringing up a lot of uh, things that I studied way too long ago. I got to go in my library and dig up some good stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let me put on the glasses because I have some questions here. Um, where do pagans' gods fit? Mm. That's a good one. James? Oh, me? No. Yes, where do pagan gods No, where do pagan gods fit? Ah, well, that's an interesting question. I think it's one I recommended, actually. <laughs> yes. There's... Another underrated feature of Christianity that doesn't really come through is the fact that its cosmology, what it says about what gods there are, isn't very different from pagan gods traditionally. Because in ancient paganism, and still in a lot of paganism today, you have this idea of a more distant creator god who can't be directly accessed. And there are intercessory spirits lower than him, and we revere those. But in Christianity, we think that we have a more full revelation of the distant creator god, the source, the the being in itself. And we think that while we can still venerate helpful spirits loyal to him, we can also worship the creator God as well. So the trick, therefore, when it comes to pagan gods is working out which is loyal and which isn't. Because the term pagan God itself doesn't tell us that. It only says pagans worship something, and that in itself doesn't mean that these spirits aren't loyal. It just means that we have to use our discernment. Because you have some, for example, um, uh, to pick a, a local example, one that I've worked with in the past, you have spirits of places, for example, like Babea. She is the spirit of a, a river god up in York who reached out to me. She's objectively a pagan god. She had a cult of sacrifice in Roman times. She had a, a cult of the head and people went to her for miraculous healing. But as a spirit of a place, she's only doing her job according to Jubilees 2-2. There's an angel above her. The angel reports to the divine council from Psalm 8 
and it's all this order. So a lot of pagan gods are actually spirits just doing their job. And there's nothing wrong with venerating them as helpers, because as it says in the book of Hebrews, are these not our ministering spirits here to help our salvation? We can work with them. But then, of course, you do have the risk that there are some who are, in a pagan understanding, just hostile and nasty, or in a Christian understanding, actively rebelling against what we consider to be the source of good. And while there might be nothing practically wrong with working on them, for a Christian, it does pose the difficulty of setting aside our transcendental path in order to reach out to the God now. There's a road and they can be taken as variations off of it that can either slow you down or stun you completely. But you could say that about anything, really, to be honest. So I think it's just mostly a case of do your research on the divine council if you want to work with pagan gods as a Christian, because there is a lot of scope for it. There really is. But don't be too enthusiastic. If you get any kind of sense that something isn't right with a particular deity or that where it's leading you is somewhere that it probably can't back up if you were to conjure it to tell you the truth for instance that's probably not something many people can do but it takes a lot of theology and um, I can't do that it takes a lot of inner work to be able to do that clearly and actually if there's a sense that a pain god that you're working with isn't leading you toward transcendental good don't follow it if it is and you are very confident in its position in the hierarchy according to the divine council then you can but if not I would recommend not to okay Follow your instincts. And that's done. <laughs> How can uh, someone learn spiritual skills? That's one of your questions that you feel that people might be interested in. Well, if you ask it normally, this is actually the reason I uh, thought this would be a good question, because if you ask it in many groups, they'll give you a massive ton of books. Now, I like books, but... They're not the most practical thing. I think if someone's starting out, they should, first of all, try to see divinity within themselves. And that can be a hard task to begin with. But it's said in, I believe it's the Epistle of James, listening to the word of God, a.k.a. Christ within scripture or himself, if you have access to mass. Listening to the word of God is like seeing our reflection. And that's a really interesting turn of phrase to me because it reminds us that the word is actually a physical thing. It's through the word things come to be and if you can find or accept the existence of the word within yourself that's your bedrock that's where you begin spiritual skills and then you can begin in the world around you before you open a book you can train yourself to see beauty in little things in the way angles operate for instance or in a or in a celebrity crash even you can give yourself this sense of veneration for truth as its own end because that's also divine you can see these shards of divinity in the world around you and then you begin to become much better at seeing them instinctively and you form this picture of what well, you're actually in the dream the mind the wisdom of a godhead and then you build the implicit trust the faith that jesus talks about where you realize you're in the godhead and of course it will do what you would want or ask because if you have done the inner work to realize the godhead within yourself it's what's prompting you to ask that it's a, a feedback loop that you grow to appreciate. If you first find divinity within yourself, listening to the word of God is like looking at our reflection and then seeing that outwardly in the world as well. Then you grow in the trust and then you are able to reach out with confidence. I have a number of the Rambo practical tips 
a number of other practical tips as well. Like one that I especially like, it comes from, oh, hang on, a book I have here, actually. It's a bit dusty. The Occult by Colin Wilson. Now, he, uh, the essential thesis he makes, and I do think Jesus makes the same point when he says we are gods, is that humans have natural paranormal abilities. Faculty X, he calls them. You have a lot of other occult authors like Rudolf Steiner saying the same thing, but he grounds it all in evolutionary psychology. So he'll say these are things we evolved as hunter-gatherers, and to grow them, we need to live more as a hunter-gatherer would, but not necessarily ditching everything as Jesus and other great mystics did. I don't think they knew quite why they did that at the time, but that's something they did. Instead of ditching things, we make more marginal lifestyle choices. So on practical terms, it's something I've used to get people up to speed with ghost investigation quite quickly. So just say, they come to me and be like, how can I learn to do this? And I'll be like, here's 10 pounds. If you can go out and get everyone in the group a meal, a big meal for 10 pounds, <laughs> you know how it's done. And they'll be like, what the hell are you on about? But once they've done it several times, they've realized they had these instincts to where to find that and how to do that, that they weren't aware they had. And then if you kind of reduce the amount or you just decide to go off on a night walk and then try and find your way back, like only somewhere like reasonably local, without knowing the way, you'll realize you have these instincts you weren't aware of before. And it can seem very pointless at first. <laughs> I've had a lot of people who join my ghost investigation team just turn around and say, no, nah, this, is, this is useless. I prefer to read books, thanks. But the ones who stuck with it, they realize that they do have that faculty X because they are in the mind of a godhead. They can reach out for things anywhere in the world if they're good enough or if they're dissolved enough in the notion that they have the divinity within them. Because there's no intrinsic separation. We are all within the mind or the dream of a deity. And that's a good way to get to know it, both in a theoretical sense and a practical sense. I'm not sure how much sense I made there. I was bouncing between topics. Oh, you made, to me, a lot of sense for the simple fact. I say to people, if, they're, if I pick up their old soul the way I do it, I say, that means you have internal spiritual knowledge. A young soul is an individual that needs proof and everything else. For an old soul, and you brought up the paranormal investigation, walks into a place and can sense the energy and everything else. Okay, mm -hmm. where a young soul Oh, needs the gadgets and tools and stuff like that. So, yeah, very, uh, very interesting you brought that up. Found it interesting that you're in the paranormal too. Um, but the two are kind of tied together. And people, I always, I've said in the past, and Annette can agree with this, is I firmly believe the reason why we, a lot of people are having spiritual experiences paranormal experiences it's because finally people need to know that there's a spiritual world out there and humans as a nature needs it slapped in the face to realize it and that's why i believe there's more and more and more knowledge coming out as far as paranormal experiences go so um we would like annette any questions for james are you enjoying this tonight? I, yeah, I, I am. I, I am. <laughs> it's been a long time since we had a good conversation like this. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> James, would you be willing to come on in the future? Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yes, I enjoy this. And uh, Catholic Witches can be found on Facebook. 
just tap it in there. Is there a website? Is there a website pertaining to it? There's not. I was thinking of setting one up on Squarespace. I just haven't got around to it yet. Once it hits the magic two thousand members, that's my uh, that's my bribe to the, to the viewers. Okay. If you join and it gets to two thousand, we're nearly there. I'll make a Squarespace website. I'll be thinking okay. of starting a blog as well, anyway. So well, maybe I'm this will anyway. maybe this maybe this will help bring it through uh, mm. the numbers. And um, I know there there used to be I don't know if it still exists. There used to be a website called Catholic Craft. Okay. Which is uh, never had a guest on, but I knew it exists. And we'd like to have you back on. Let me ask you a question. I don't mm -hmm. know how far deep you go into this. Um, knowledge wise, yeah. I posted on Catholic Witches if anybody had anything that they wanted us to respond to. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Post it. He had one lady. Her name is uh, Rose Marie. And I think I saw this. Yeah. And yeah. she definitely, definitely is in a situation that she needs help and prayers and stuff like that for. Mm -hmm. So, anybody listening to this, just, you know, just make that wish in thought for Miss Rose Marie and uh, both financially and medically that she finds some. Um, Relief for what she needs. Okay. So, um, and I think in the future, I would love to bring this live on Facebook. Annette, what do you think? I mean, we have the Zoom possibility. We haven't done it before. I'll probably do it in the future um, first uh, <laughs> before I bring you on, James. And, you know, you got a bunch of people turn in and there ain't nothing. So um, make sure it works. Any any final words you want to leave with, James? Um, one thing, only one thing, actually. I'm going to try and keep this short. It's mostly in case there's Christians watching, thinking, oh, well, you can't do magic because it's, it's against God. The one thing I would ask them to do is read Wisdom of Solomon 7, 17 to 22. Because everything I say will... It's just nothing by comparison. That's the word itself saying it's fine. <laughs> I can't add to that. Just read that if you're wondering if there's any biblical basis. The rest will fall into place. It just will. Okay. And I got to say on um, Catholic Witches on Facebook, great articles that you put out there. Um, a lot Thank of you. knowledge. Um, an article per article could be a show in itself. So uh, James does put a lot of work into trying to educate people, trying to let people know that there is magic in the faith and we all can create some type of miracle for ourselves or our loved ones around us. So I firmly believe in that. James, thank you. More than welcome. And Have a good day, guys. Uh, thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, let me, jeez. Yes, listeners, that was a very interesting 
and enjoyable, I must say. Um, guess Mr. James Austin of Catholic Witches. Annette, you being a pagan and everything you've heard, what was your impression? Uh, you were smiling a lot, so. Uh, was. It was a wonderful interview. Um, James, James has a lot to offer. He's a young man who's got a long life ahead of him, sharing and helping people uh, through their transitions, if you think of it that way, because, you know, most of us grow up in, most Christ, Catholics or Christians grow up in a household with that. It's not something that we choose our, on our own when we're old enough to make a decision about. So as we grow up and we start to see other spirits, forms of spirituality, um, potentially that we can use for ourselves, um, we have a little feeling like, uh oh, I can't do, you know, I can't do that magic or I can't try that other kind of ritual because I'm a Catholic and that goes against what I've been told. So it's very freeing to have someone like James be able to say, wait a minute. You know, there are words that give us, um, that allow us to be able to do magic and not have the guilt of, oh, I'm going against God. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think he's providing a wonderful opportunity for people to feel more comfortable in their new skins and grow and anything that brings people to earth, you know back to the spirits of the earth um, is amazing because we need a whole lot more of that in the world. Otherwise we're going to lose the earth and all its spirits. So I feel like he's doing a wonderful contribution to the community overall by, you know, by being there as a beacon to people to, Hey, you're not the only one. Let me, let me answer some of your questions make you feel more comfortable as you move forward in your new spirituality. And I believe that this whole, as I said in the past, when I'm doing readings and I bring this up, if the person uh, says they're Catholic or they've pulled away from the Catholic church and that, I bring this up and boom, I know there's a few people that have, you know, joined the, their page. Catholic witches. Um, and the knowledge there is fantastic. So, and we'll have James on in the future and possibly do it live, which is going to be interesting. And uh, Annette, thank you. Of course. Thank you for bringing uh, this gentleman on. It was wonderful. Yeah. Our next show will be, uh, or is planned to be on conspiracies and uh, be in reality. And uh, We'll take it from there. Annette, well, let me say one thing too, folks. If you're interested, Annette and I do work together as far as doing house parties and stuff like that, okay? And I'm doing phone readings, cool, private readings, um, and house parties myself. So um, we're on the travel. Um, so remember that. Enjoy the coming weeks easter matter of fact boy that's coming up too what a great time what a great time tie-in okay uh with the show so thank you listeners viewers annette thank you for being here um i may take a nap 
but <laughs> now I got plenty. Good morning, good night. <laughs> now I got plenty of work to do. Uh, so thank you, folks. Enjoy. Bye, Until next time, bye-bye. Hello, listeners. Edward Shanahan here in the Unexplained World. It's been a while. Yes, I know. But there's good reason for it. It's not like I've deserted you. I've been in a net. She's still out there. But we, she's been taking care of things on her, starting something new. And I had to figure out how to, after hitting my head on the table a few times in that, to do live streams uh, by way of Facebook, etc. Instagram once in a while, but mostly Facebook at this time. Until I get a larger following with TikTok. So, uh, that's where it's been. 2021 is coming to an end. It's going to be very soon. And here comes 2022. Believe in 2022, please. For your sake, for those that are your loved ones, believe. Have the strength. Stand tough. Stand strong. Stay healthy. Stay healthy. Let me give you a little secret. Um, what I'm going to suggest, it's for the vaxxed and non-vaxxed, is look up what's in the IV bag that they give those in the hospital with COVID. Then go to Walgreens or wherever and buy those over-the-counter vitamins that are in the bags. Okay? Give it a shot. Got nothing to lose. Um, I've been doing that for a while. And <clears throat> still, still going strong. Non-stop, still doing readings, house house parties, etc., etc. Um, public readings, private readings, doing Zoom too. Yes, yes, yes. Zoom and phone phone readings. So if anybody's interested there, uh, especially for 2022 coming up, feel free to contact me. Phone reading and Zoom. If when you contact me, mention you heard it on the podcast. Is I'll give it to you for 65 if you sign up. Hmm. <clears throat> Let's say right now, no date in sight, probably one in February. But uh, if you sign up, just go to edwardshanahan.com, text message me from there, and you could get a Zoom with Spirit Communication reading. I'll leave you here for 65 until then. Um, cause basically I'm working on the website and so the price will be 65 until the website is done updated. So been a busy bee and that's doing fine. She did a live stream with me. It worked out. We did readings online. Just find Edward Shanahan at Facebook, um, Chicago psychic. You'll see it. Can't miss it. Yeah, and everything's been going good. Um, not enough hours in the day. And I hope you're all staying healthy. Thank you for those that maybe come by and track me down on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, okay, LinkedIn. So feel free to track me down. But if you like the live, if you would like a regular, maybe twice a month live stream, 
that's on uh, Facebook for right now. Got to bring those numbers up on TikTok. So if you can help out, do so. And we'll go to TikTok and do it. So a very, very, very happy to end 2021 and happy to walk in 2022. Let's hope it's better. Let's hope it's stronger. Let's hope we get over whatever you want to call it that's going on. May God watch over us. I'm going to have some extra news coming up for sure. But may God watch over us, watch over you. Your spirits, your loved ones who have passed away are your first level spirit guides. Ask them to watch over you also when you sleep at night. When you go to sleep at night. And ask them for guidance. Ask them for, to guide your other loved ones who may need it. So, until next time, Edward Shanahan, edwardshanahan.com. Happy New Year to all. Bye-bye.